ask you to listen as intently as you can. I'm reading out of Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm starting in verse 18. You've not come to a physical mountain, the place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and a whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and trembling. No, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God himself, who's the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who've now been made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that, of all, cre that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring. That's the God you serve. That's the God you showed up for today. We're not here because we needed a blessing. We're not here because we just... Uh, needed someone to be nice to us or to hear uh, something encouraging. I, I get that you need those things. I take that need far more seriously than you realize, I promise. But that is not why we are here. We are here because we have a God. And then as we gather together, it looks like that I am a man speaking to an audience and that you're that audience, but that is incorrect. We are actually a congregation, a corporate body, standing together in worship right now, and there's an audience of one. And now he looks upon us. He walks among us. He lives within us. And he knows our hearts, and he loves us. And he loves us so much that we respond to that love and adoration, reflection, focus, intensity, desire.
This is worship. This is why we gather. Because he's worthy. He's worthy of all of our attention right now. I try to be an engaging speaker, but you know what? If I'm as boring as cereal, he's still worthy of all your attention. Does that make sense? Here's the thing. I'm an American. I'm used to being entertained. I'm used to doing everything in my life for me. And so when I go to church, I take out my, my checklist. How's the worship today? Well, it was all right. That one singer, they missed a few notes. I didn't like the music. <laughs> you, you should really pray for Steve because trying to find music that people like, actually, he doesn't even try. He just gets, sings whatever God tells him, by the way. So he figures they'll love it, they'll hate it, whatever. It's about the Father. It's not about that. But I'm telling you, I've been there. I've been the guy sitting in the church going, well, that music wasn't very engaging. That sermon wasn't very engaging. I've been to all those kind of things. And here's what I've learned about worship and about that attitude. That is not worship. That is me being an American walking into a church going, looking for what I need, treating church like Walmart or, or some department store. Going in, well, they didn't have what I need. I'll just go to Amazon. Isn't that kind of what America's doing today? They're walking away from the church. Why? It's not meeting my needs. Hold it. Hold it, dude. What is it? What need do you have that Jesus has not fulfilled? Because I would like to know what that is. I think I need you to help me understand how that Jesus isn't enough for your faith. Because I think there's a problem in this equation, and I don't think the problem's Jesus. Maybe you need to correct me. You with me? I didn't get any amens on that one at all. Just like, hmm. So today, we are in this series about where we're rethinking church. And last week, Pastor Michael Longfellow talked about how it's so much more than a sermon. And it's about us being the body of Christ. And today, we're talking about what worship really is and what it looks like to us and what it looks like for us out of Scripture. And I read to you a long passage of Scripture because... Paul told us, he told us pastors, read the scriptures to your church. Let, make them hear the scriptures. So I made you hear some, and I'm going to cover some more. And today we're talking about that worship's not what you think, and we're tackling this issue of what it's about. And so let me just warm you up to what worship's about. Let me, let me warm you up to what it's not about. Not about you. Not about you. I mean, there are a lot of things we think of as we prepare services for ordinary faith. We try to be relevant. We try to speak truth. We try to get where people really are and not just talk about things that do not connect to Monday morning. That's very important to us. But even in that process, you have to remember, this just ain't about you. That's Michael from Tennessee coming out, okay? This ain't about you. It's not about music styles, not about the temperature on the thermostat, because that's where most churches get really upset, or most people get really upset. This is about learning to worship. And we call worship actually a spiritual discipline. It's, all, it's been called a spiritual discipline for hundreds of years. And some of you are sitting there going, a discipline, and you scoff. Like the, the, the more free-spirited, charismatic side of the house. It's not a discipline. It's free and fun. And, and, and all the reform side of the house, you're sitting there going, yes, you've got to work at it. And I, I get where you're coming from. The scoffers, the lovers, but it's, it's a discipline in that it's a place where we grow. And as we build this discipline, our heart expands, our understanding of God expands. You do understand that you get your comprehension of God from God, right? 
It's got to come from Him. It's got to be grounded in the Word, Michael. I didn't say it didn't have to be. I'm I'm reminding you that it has to come from Him. And it won't disagree with the word. It has to be grounded in the word. But, but he's the one who's got to reveal himself to you. So worship is one of those key places that we grow. And so let's learn about worship. Let's jump into Psalm 95, verse 1. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let's come to him with thanksgiving. Let's sing songs of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The seas belong to him, for for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he's our God. And we're the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only he would listen to his voice today. This amazing passage of worship. See the energy in it. See the excitement in it. There's shouting and praise and singing. And I mean, you read this text and you're going like, that kind of church would make me nervous, you know. People will be getting all excited and loud and rowdy, and, but, but they're, they're moving in a worship that's very kinetic. Very, people are moving, very involved. Does that make sense? That's what we see in Psalm 95. Now, as you get into it, and I make you really uncomfortable, we come back to that idea, it's just not about you. And we have to nestle that idea deep into our hearts. And I know And I've already addressed how that it's just not about us and us getting our needs met and those kind of things. It's about honoring God. I want to read you a quote. I can't attribute it to the the right person, so it's unknown. But it says this, We have become a generation of people who worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. Oh, man. This kind of sticks, doesn't it? So it's not about us. So as we ask ourselves this morning, as we, we've gone through and we've sang some songs together, read some scriptures together, together and, and Steve helped you. He just took you through a deep process of processing scripture. I don't know if you realize this or not, but he helped you paraphrase scripture, helped you rethink it. And I'm telling you, that is one of the most powerful ways to hear from God, to, to understand scripture, is to really think it through. One verse, he just took you through it so many ways. It was beautiful, wasn't it? Didn't it help? Do that on your own. You don't need Steve to do that, but maybe you could call him at three in the morning and, and he would help you. I, I don't know. But um, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. He's not getting enough sleep as is. Um, but ask yourself, as you think about worship, how, how engaged am I actually in worship? Am I, am I pressing in? Am I trying to be a part? Am I trying to sing? Am I thinking about God? Am I worshiping God and, and honoring God? Psalms 29 says, Honor the Lord for the glory of His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. It's, this is about Father. It's just about Father God and worshiping Him and putting all our focus and attention and direction and our praise upon the Father. And it's, sometimes it's about singing. Why do we sing? You ever wondered why do we sing in worship? And how many of you thought, well, that's what I thought worship is? Because that's kind of how it's, Steve's the worship pastor. Well, that's really a misnomer. I mean, it really, Michael's a worship pastor. Michael's a worship pastor. That was two different Michaels. Michael, Michael. Steve's a worship pastor. I'm the worship pester. Maybe I'm the pester. 
I could be the lead pastor. I'll change my name. Anyway, so sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name each day. Proclaim the good news that he saves. You know, the Bible talks about singing and worship over 400 times. And there are two commands in the New Testament. Two commands in the New Testament for us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other. Commands. So singing is a part of worship. It's something that we do. So I want to encourage you in that. And I know some of you are sitting there going, Pastor Michael, I just, if it's you, if it's you, I can't sing. Who said you can't sing? My wife. Someone over, is that Lori? <laughs> Lori said he can't sing. Well, I love Lori, but I wonder who created Michael's vocal cords. I wonder who created that voice. And I wonder who created yours. And I think he created your voice to sing. And if you sing badly, that's his problem. (laughs) And I know what you're sitting there thinking. You're thinking, well, if I sing badly, then the person next to me will think ill of me. They're not your God. Right? 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 Amen? You don't worship them. The second that someone else can keep you from worshiping, they became your God. Woo! Hello, phone's ringing. So, singing's important, it's good, and I do want to encourage you to sing. And I, I, I know it's hard to start and those kind of things. You guys out there, you think you're singing badly, you could start humming, you could start reading the scripture, and, and I know it's intimidating, but I want you to know this. Your father wants to hear your voice, and we're talking about corporate worship here, by the way. And I just want to remind you, you get, I don't know how many people this is but you get all these people together you put bad voices in that mix and it still sounds beautiful because it's not about we're not trying to be a choir here we're trying to worship our father does that make sense so be free okay there's other ways to worship too other ways to connect with god that's for sure but we should sing we sing because god's worthy we sing because you know god's a singer did you know that yeah, the Bible says in Zephaniah 3.17 that he sings over us. Isn't that cool? Right now, he's singing over you. Father's probably dancing over you. I know you think he's staunchy and sitting in heaven looking grumpy, but that's not Papa at all. He dances. He created fun. He, he, all these things are his idea. They come from him. Singing helps us express parts of our hearts that we cannot find words to express. Oh, man. When am I favorite favorite hymns is uh, it is well with my soul and uh, I doubt I can I doubt I could sing it this morning just my my brain is so I'm having a hard time corralling some thoughts but I cannot tell you the times that uh, I'm going to try if I fail you can just laugh is that okay It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, 
and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well, join me, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Oh, you guys did a great job. Thank you. You know the words, but you have to know my story to know the heart behind the words. You have to know the storms I've waited the sins I'd committed, and the forgiveness I've found. You'd have to know that to know what I really just said. So thank you for joining me. And in that, find the lesson of how powerful it is to raise your voice to your Father. Even if someone else thinks it sounds bad, I bet your daddy loves it. Amen. Amen. So there's so much in singing that brings us powerful, but it, just because we're singing doesn't mean that we're worshiping. Pastor Steve and the worship team work so diligently to, to bring, to create an atmosphere, to, to set up the temple, so to speak, so that we can focus on our Father. But just because we set up the temple doesn't mean the worshipers worship, and just because the voices are heard doesn't mean worship is happening. And so even though that we do all those things, we have to focus ourselves. We have to turn our heart in, into the Father. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 18, Jesus said, and he's echoing sentiments displayed by Isaiah and Ezekiel and several of the Old Testament prophets. He says, these people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. And so when we worship, it's, it's where our heart is located. It's, it's how we're focused upon our Father. When we gather together each Sunday, this is for Him. Just never, ever in a million years going to be about us. And singing is a vehicle that might awaken us to who our Father is and, and the audience of, his, of, of who He is. It's just not about us. I'm going to jump into Psalms 9. It says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you've done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High God. This is David praising his Father, praising God. Talking about he praised him with all his heart. He, and he, he's thankful for the marvelous things he's done. He's filled with joy because of him. He's filled with joy because of him, not because of what he's done, but because of who God is. And he sings praises to his name, not accolades of what he's done, but who God is. And so we look at worship and we remind ourselves it's not about us, but then we also plunge into the idea that worship is a response to who God is. As Steve mentioned earlier, when we worship, we are responding to God. He's always the initiator. He's the one always reaching out toward us. And so we respond. How do we do that? Sometimes it starts by just recognizing that God is good and that I'm living in the goodness of God. 
Now, I know you live in a world that's always assaulting that idea, telling you that God isn't good. Look at all the bad things that are happening in your life. Look at all the trouble you're enduring. God certainly can't be good if you're enduring trouble. That's all lies from the enemy. That's not true at all. That is, and many churches reinforce that message. And what they're doing is, what I believe they're doing, and you can argue with me because being wrong is your right. <laughs> Excuse me. But they're twisting the sovereignty of God. And I'm going to give you a little a sovereignty lesson right now. And you can disagree with me. You can argue with me later. But i got the floor right now. So, as you know, and I like to tell people this because it gives me pity. I like to tell people I have eight sons. Okay? Eight amazing sons. Wonderful boys. Uh, but, as the father of eight sons, I've been in the teenage years for over two decades now. And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced teenage sons. And, and my amazing, wonderful teenage sons, because I don't want to shame them in any way, but there's that stage in life from about 13 to probably 23, 33, <laughs> maybe 43, I don't know, till they find someone to help them get out of it. That funky stage. Do your teenagers have a, a funky stage? So here's the deal. Here's what I'm trying. This is on sovereignty, not spunky. But anyway... So I, we have, my Christy and I own a house, and we own the house. We are sovereign in the house. But they have a room, and on their 13th birthday, I go in no more. <laughs> That's part of the 13th birthday. It's your room. I'll fix it when you move out. Why? The funk. That's the smell. Yeah, some of you guys are coaches in the room, and you've been in locker rooms. You're like, oh, my goodness, I know what he's talking about. What am I, what, what does this have to do with sovereignty? I'm sovereign over the house, but I've given them the authority over their room. And their job is to, to keep it clean or ordain it with the funk. I had one, one son who was incredibly intelligent. He bought one of those Febreze things you plug in the wall. And I thought he was the best cleaner of all my sons for years because I don't look at the dirt. I just go for the smell. I can seldom get past the smell. And so I'm very sensitive. It's not them. It's me. Or maybe it is them. But I'm, for now, it's me, okay? <laughs> and so one son figured it out, and I thought he was amazing. Then I found out later it was all a lie. But that's a different story. <laughs> my point is this. Papa, Father God owns the house. And he gave us the room. I don't always like what my kids do with their room. I don't always like the condition of their room, but it's their room. I've given them authority over their room, okay? And it's the same way on earth. God has given us authority on this earth. And so bad things happen here. They're not because of God. They're because we've chosen to allow bad things to exist here. We, it's, on, it, it's, it's on us, and it's part of an enemy that's assaulting us is the factor as well. And so that's my, my uh, analogy that I'm sure breaks down because all analogies do about how sovereignty works. God is sovereign, but we have a room that he's given us some authority over and some places, that's the things that happen. So when we think about God, don't let the state of your room call into question the goodness of God. That's the point. The state of the world, don't let that call into question. He's good. And when you look at your life, praise the Lord and learn to experience God and praise Him for His goodness in your life. He is a very good Father. Let's learn to recognize Him and, and praise Him for all the privileges and so forth. In fact, praising God is about what God has done, okay? God has blessed you, given you a home, provided you finances, given you health, given you the ability to learn skills. On and on it goes. 
all these things from the Father, okay? They're gifts from Him. He is good. Worship is beyond that, but it begins with praise. Worship is more than what God is doing. David didn't start this psalm, Psalm 9 that I just read, because God had done something wonderful to him. He, he, he wrote that psalm because of who God is to him, who God was to him. So we start by recognizing God's good. Then we move into our value of God. And I want to really challenge you to think about where God lands in the value priority system of your life right now. And what do I mean? Well, there are a lot of people in this room and in this church and in this community that I love very much. People that have meant the world to me, I highly value them. I, I very much value my wife and my children. They are very high on my priority list, but I don't worship them. Worship's another level. And so when we value God and move Him into a place of worship, we elevate Him far beyond. Far. Say far. Far, far beyond anything and everything that we love on this earth. We value God above and beyond all of that. And so when we value God that much, we begin to, to love Him and seek Him beyond everything else. What you value, you make time for, right? What you value, you invest in, right? That you, 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 you use your brain mental capacity on. All these things that you value, they teach us about your values. When Jesus was asked the most important thing, the most important commandment, he answered it with this well-known passage. He says, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your spirit. I mean, all your strength. Excuse me, I missed the last word. And then when Jesus, one time he told his disciples, you've got to love me more than anything. You've got to love me so much that your love for your family and your friends looks like hate. He wasn't saying you've got to hate your family and friends. He was saying my, your love for him has to be so much higher than your love for everything else that the difference looks like hate. Does that, does that make sense? Not telling you to love his family less, just love him so much more. It's ridiculous. Love Jesus ridiculously. How's that? Simplify that passage, okay? So when we respond to God, we're responding and thinking about who God is. We're valuing, we're elevating Him in our minds and in our hearts. This is moving us into a much more healthy place of worship. And then we learn, as we think about who God is, we move, recognize His goodness, value who He is. We also realize that God is above. One of the things we recognize is that God is above the things we are Going through. Recognize his goodness. Value him above everything else. And worship him because he's above what I'm going through. I'll tell you what I learned as I th thought through this passage. I learned that I worship my problems a lot. It was a painful lesson. What do I mean? Um... We come together at church and we'll sing worship to God, right? We think about God. Picture Him in our minds. Picture heaven. I, I don't know how God uh, ordains your imagination to work as you worship, but maybe those things connect with you. But then I'll leave here and I'll, I'll go home and my wife and I will, at home or whatever, we'll start to talk about our problems. We'll start to think about how big our problems are, how how we're never going to get past them and how they keep coming back. Do you do that? Am I the only one? I mean, it's okay. You can leave me hanging. I'm, I'm, leaving. 
I'm making my problems bigger than my God when I do that. I'm actually changing my worship. I started, here I started worshiping God, now I'm worshiping my problems. I'm telling the world how big my problems are. I'm telling, I'm telling in the spiritual world, I'm pretty much proclaiming that my problem is bigger than my father and, and that not even my father can overcome my problem. And so when I worship God and I recognize His goodness and I value Him above all else, it changes how I begin to look at the problems in my life. And now instead of worshiping my problems, I begin to worship my Father and, and realize that He is bigger than those and He is above those. It's like, it's like coming to church. You ever come to church you just weren't feeling it? Okay, don't raise your hands. You're like, like this morning? Like, I was like, oh, this is when I'm feeling it. You know? I have been that way, but my wife says I have to be here. And so, so I'm here. I'm just not feeling it. You don't have to feel it to worship. You don't. Everything in your life doesn't have to go right for you to worship because when you worship, it's not about what God has done. That's praise. It's about who God is. And He is awesome. He is beyond your wildest imagination. We learn to worship, we begin to identify the great I am in our lives. The I am. I am. The ever-present. In every moment, God is I am. He has never been, never will be, I was. Never gonna be, I will be. He's always I am. And in this problem that I am in, He is also in. He is because he's the I am, he exists in my life at every moment as the he is. And therefore, over every problem and larger than every problem I could ever experience. And so I begin in those moments to, to recognize that my father is present and to worship that, that he is all these things. And I'm not just talking about the things he is. I mean, I'm going to mention some of those in a minute. But he, he's not just in those moments. He's not just the he is. He is to me. Do you understand? He is to me. He has been by my side through many a storm, many a challenge, many a worry, many a fear, many an assault, many a betrayal, you name it. He's never left me. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I believe him. In my worst, darkest place, he is, and he is to me. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let's shout Shout joyfully to the Lord. This sounds like a charismatic service. It's making me nervous. The rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let's sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it as Hands form the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for He is our God. We are the people He watches over, the flock under His care. If only you would listen to His voice today. Who is He? Jehovah Ra. The Lord is my shepherd. Or Rohi, depending on the text. My shepherd? He's my shepherd. Yeah, you're a sheep. And he leads you beside still waters. He, uh, Jesus said he sends us out as sheep among the wolves. 
And if you cross-reference that back to the 23rd Psalm, it says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He, he takes these sheep and sends them out among wolves, and when the wolves think they're about to dine on a sheep, he sets the sheep down and sets the sheep a feast. It doesn't say on wolf meat, but I'm guessing that's what it is. That's what the Lord is my shepherd's about. You better watch out for a sheep. You might have a mean and nasty or wonderful and powerful shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, Rapha, the Lord who heals. The Lord who heals. Man, some of you are facing disease. Some of you chronic. Some terminal. And he's the Lord who heals. You realize there isn't a broken, diseased place in you Papa doesn't know about? There isn't a broken place in you that he's not near. Some of you sit here today and you're like, my healing's emotional, I'm broken within. Or my healing's mental, I, I just can't get my thoughts together. Or I'm struggling with an addiction that I'm just broken over. Or I've made mistakes. And, and here's this God who is your healer. And he's like, I'm ready. I'm here at this place. Let's come to the place where it hurts the most and, and let me heal you. This is, this is who God is. This is who God is. He may not be that to you just yet. But he can be and he wants to be. Does that make sense? Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. So tomorrow... You don't know what you're, maybe some of you, you ever had a weekend that you couldn't really rest because you knew that Monday was coming and you knew that there's a potential for something bad to happen, but you just didn't know what it was. You ever have that feeling that Monday's going to be bad? The Lord is there. You will never walk into a situation upon which your Father God isn't waiting on you to arrive. Amen? You got any peace? You should have some peace. Because he is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. You know, Jesus said, in the world you have troubles, but don't fear. I've overcome the world. There's peace. He's, he will give you peace. Oh, there's so many names of God. I don't have time to go through them all. I've got to be done by one. <laughs> Worship is when we recognize who God is, these are some small things about who God is. I guess one more thing I should tell you. He's Emmanuel. God is with us. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.3, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Jesus came to show us what God is really out. So, really about. So, as I move on to my next point, let me just finish this point with this simple question. Sometimes we ask ourselves, how can I worship when I have these problems? How can I worship? And I, I'm not even going to bother listing problems. Whatever your problem is, fill in the blank right now. How can I worship when I fill in the blank, okay? However, here's my question. How do we not worship with every single breath of our lives? You see what I'm saying? We're letting our problems get bigger than our God. And so worship is about elevating God to his proper place. You will never put him too high in your estimation or in your value system or in your priority list or on your calendar or in your checkbook. You will never put God too high. 
He is worthy of worship. It's not about us. Worship is a response of who he is. And therefore, we worship God in everything we do. In fact, I'm going to twist that just a little bit. I'm going to tell you that every single moment of your life is actually an act of worship. Every single one. Every breath you take is worship. That's what I'm going to say. Now, you're probably sitting there going, no, no. I, 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 don't, I don't believe that I mean, because sometimes I just do nothing. Any of you guys here do nothing? I'm a guy. We like to do nothing. I know you wives think we like to fish, but that's not what that is. You don't know what fishing is. Fishing is about doing nothing. Any of you guys ever get annoyed when you catch a fish? I'm just, I'm just saying, oh, man. I remember one time I went fishing. I was catching fish like crazy. It drove me nuts. I'm like, gosh, i got to find a worse place to fish. <laughs> You're like, what? So now Jason's over here going, that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. <laughs> Heathen is wrong. No, I'll prove it to you. I know guys like to do nothing. Here's how I'll prove it to you. Ready? You ever seen your husband watch cable TV, ladies? Does he actually watch anything? If there's a remote in his hands, he actually, no, he just click, 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 click. Drives you crazy. You're like, why don't you just stop and watch something? And I'm like, ladies, you don't know what it's about. It's not about click, click. It's about nothing. I like doing nothing. We think we do nothing, but actually everything is an act of worship. Actually, every breath we do breathe, sometimes it's a worship of God, and often it's a worship of something else. I'll never forget the day. This was a very sobering moment in my life. I was sitting in my den, because I, I wouldn't call myself a movie buff, because I can't remember the movies I watch, so I can't be a movie buff. But I, I kind of like to watch movies. But I can watch the same movies every year, because I can't remember them from the year before. So <laughs> there's that. So um, I was sitting there, and I was watching a movie, because sometimes that's what I like to do to unwind. I like war movies, action movies, high body count movies. You're like, oh, my goodness, he's a pastor. Well, I guess I'm not, I'm human. Anyway, so that's all I want to say. And zombie movies, but that's another story. And so I'm sitting there watching a movie, and I'm looking around at my den. And, you know, and, and my den right now is a little different than them, but my den right now, I have the chair. You guys have, anyway, it's a pretty not really a comfortable chair, but it's like the chair. And so and I have a chair, I have some speakers over here, and in the center I have the TV, and then underneath it I have the DVD shelves. And I realized that it looked a lot like a pagan altar. It's very sobering. I mean, uh, you ever been to a Chinese restaurant, you know, and they have the idol in the corner, you know, and the incense and all this kind of stuff. And, and I realized that my den looks like a and I, a, a temple of idolatry. And I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable, God. And then God, of course, because he has an amazing sense of humor and likes to make me feel uncomfortable sometimes, he goes, yeah, what do you think about that? You're sitting there letting this thing pour into you, wanting it to answer your prayers for rest when I'm the only source of rest and on and on it goes. And I realized in that moment that I might be worshiping the wrong God. Anything I turn to to meet my needs is an act of worship because only God meets our needs. Does that make sense? Anything else I turn to, I need rest, so I turn to whatever. Um, food, I'm pretty good at that one. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about that because I don't want anybody throwing stuff at me or anything <laughs> like that. 
My point is simply this. What if every moment of your life is an act of worship? How would you look at your life now? Dads, how would you be father in your home? If you're not just the dad of it, but you're the priest of it. And your job as the priest of it is to raise up followers of the Most High God in that home. So what does that look like? Well, I'll help you out. This is what I believe it looks like, guys. I believe it makes you the lead disciple maker in your house. And I know you're sitting there going, well, yeah, but my wife's a better Christian than me. doesn't matter. You're dad. And our job as dad is to step up and teach our families how to follow God. It's okay, guys, it's okay that that looks manly and masculine and different than it does for mom. That's totally okay. What matters is not how it looks. What matters is that you are after your father God and you're leading your children after him. That's what matters. By the way, if there's going to be another generation of faith on the planet, it's because you parents stepped up to the plate to disciple them to follow Jesus. It will not be because the church started doing a great job of discipling the next generation. I'm here to tell you guys, we get an hour and a half, two hours today probably, <laughs> to teach your children a week. If you don't take up the mantle, your kids aren't going to have faith. I'm not trying to be brutal. I'm just telling you how it, be, how it works. And this is all part of worship. How do you lead your home if you're an actual worshiper every moment of every day? How about your job? What does it look like to, be a, to own a business or be an employee as a worshiper? Does that mean you walk around all day with your hands in the air singing to God? It might. I've actually done that before. They called me a dork, but that's it. <laughs> you know what else it might be, though? It might be in the best might be learning to be the best employee or business leader that you can be to make your business successful. It might be creating jobs. It might be doing all those things. But here's what makes the difference. Because sometimes we look at those things and think, well, building a big business, that's just a great thing in itself. No, no, no. It has to be intended toward the Father. That's what makes it worship. It's not, the, it's not necessarily what you do. See, this idea in our culture today that somehow there's a big difference between there's the whole secular world with the real world and the spiritual world, and they never meet, that is a lie forged at the, in Paul's day. That before that, in the Hebrew world, they did not understand this dualistic society. They only understood one holistic idea, and everything was about how it was intended. If you raise sheep, they were intended for God's glory. Raised sons, they were intended for God's glory. Going to the synagogue was for God's glory. But also working throughout the week was for God's glory. Resting was for God's glory. All of it was for God's glory, His worth, and His worship. That's, it's all together. And so that's, that's the difference right there between you worshiping yourself, trying to build a great career, make lots of money just so you can be comfortable and putting yourself on the throne, or you following God into that career and doing it all for His glory and being a worshiper in that way. Does that, does that make any sense at all? I say every moment of your life is an act of worship. But I also say that worship often requires sacrifices Hebrews 13 15 listen to this verse follow me therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God 
proclaiming our allegiance to his name, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Sacrifices. Isn't that an uncomfortable word? I mean, when we think about going to church and being the church, and here's this pastor up in front of you annoying you right now saying, hey, worship is a sacrifice. I mean, that doesn't work well in a culture that the only sacrifices we want are the ones that are offered to us. We want others to sacrifice, and we benefit, but we don't want to do the sacrificing. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of David. Now, David called for a census, and in calling for a census, he, he, it, was like, it was a rebellion against God and a punishment upon Israel. So God judged him. And he sent a plague upon the nation of Israel that was administered through this mighty warrior angel. Now, this warrior angel is standing over, literally over. I mean, you get this vision out of Scripture. This thing is huge. Standing over the city of Jerusalem, sword drawn, ready to just wipe everyone out. 70,000 people are already dead. And David sees it. He can visibly see this angel. Terrifying, right? And he runs out to where the angel is. And it's a threshing floor. I think the guy's name was Arana out of one translation, but I can't remember exactly. But he runs out to the threshing floor, and he asks the guy who has the threshing floor, he says, hey, I need to buy your land so we can have a sacrifice and shut this plague down. And so the guy answers him back because he's terrified as well. You're a big angel, sword drawn, looks mad. And he looks at the angel, and he looks at David and says, just take it. We're good. And David's answer is, oh no, that's not how this works. We don't offer to God things that cost us nothing. We don't do that. So David bought the land from and offered the sacrifice and say the, the plague was ended. By the way, that piece of land was where Solomon's temple was constructed. That moment of crisis, oh my gosh, this is so good. I wish I had time to just do this one sermon on this series, maybe one, or this one piece one day, that very moment of conflict and trial and pain became a place where all the sacrifices would be offered from that point on. By the way, in the Old Testament, people, the priests lived off of the sacrifices. If you look at the, the patriarchs of the Jew, Jewish faith, Abraham, Isaac, their offerings on altars and their, became their future in a sense. Just crazy what a sacrifice can do. What am I trying to tell you? Worship isn't always easy. Sometimes you get up on Sunday morning and you just aren't feeling it, but you come and gather corporately with the body. Notice I said corporately with the body. You know, John says that if you don't love your brother who you can see, there's no way you actually love God who you can't. You understand that, right? First John, you should read it. It will rip you to shreds in a healthy way. It also, it also blazingly reveal the unbelief in your heart and in my heart. And so the point is, is that sometimes worship costs. In fact, it always costs something. Sometimes it costs words, fruit of your lips, praise, song. Sometimes it costs more than others. Sometimes you, you sing and you don't feel like it. Sometimes you encourage someone and you may not understand that person, you may not even like that person, but you know they need to be encouraged, so you do. Sometimes it's the fruit of your lips, and sometimes it's the work of your hands. Sometimes you serve, and you step up, and you help someone out. 
clean a house, help your neighbor, something. Because you are the church. Church is not some place you go. It's the people, and you do. And it's worship. And you do it not because you need money or you want to look good. You do it because your Father is awesome. And the world needs to know that your Father is awesome. So we offer these sacrifices, and we, we step out into those. We worship God because of who God is. And our worship intensifies as we begin to realize who God is to me. John Piper said, We are to be so captivated and filled with the greatness and goodness and grace and majesty of God that like a cup full to the brim, we are always spilling over in praises to Him. The days of empty Christians must end. It must end. Jesus started the feeding of the 5,000 with an empty basket. Do you understand what that means? It means it doesn't matter what you have in you. It matters who God is in you. That's what changes things. And that's where worship finds its root and grows. And so today, as we think about worship and think about what it's not, and remind ourselves that it's not about us, I challenge you. I challenge you to really ask yourself what God really means in my life. And I challenge you not to lie to you. Nobody lies to you like you lie to you. I'm not trying to be rude, but that's the truth. And I'm just saying, be honest. Guys, you don't have time for God. You don't have energy for God. I, you don't have time or energy or desire to get in His Word, to get involved with other believers, to grow in your faith. You don't have time for all that stuff. You need to be honest about where you actually value God. Okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to be harsh. Hey, but let's be a little open with ourselves. What, what, would be the, what would be the benefit of that? I'm glad you asked. I had it in my nose that you would. I was so surprised that you did. <laughs> you get God in the right place in your life. You're going to connect with, a, with, with resources and strengths that you couldn't imagine. Instead of going to work tomorrow morning with your cup empty, dragging through another week, you go with your bowl, barrel, full, brimming, flooding over. That's how Jesus meant for you to live life, on overflow, not begging for crumbs. You understand that, right? We're, getting through, we're going through our lives begging for crumbs. Worship is the thing that connects us to the overflow. Jesus said, if a man believes in me, out of, his, out of his belly, out of his life, out of his life force will flow rivers of living water. I don't know too many Christians who are walking around as a flowing river. It's like there's some kind of negative competition going on. How you doing? It's bad. It's so bad. Oh my gosh, everything's bad. The world's bad. It's just bad. Like, wow. Well, why don't you get saved? That's what I want to say. Why don't you just get saved and get a new source? Why don't you trust Christ and stop living for your own strength? Well, I've been saved for 20 years. I don't think so. No, I, I think there's a problem. I think you're drinking from a fountain, but it ain't the right one. 
All jokes aside, take some time to understand how valuable God is to you and take some time to actually glorify Him in your life. Bring glory to God. A lot of times in life, we think we need validation and we beg people for it in our very subtle, obvious ways. You don't need validation. You don't. Sometimes you think that you need security. You need your situation in life to be better. You need your marriage to be more secure. Whatever it is, I'm telling you, that is not what you need. You're missing it. That's not it. You need worship. There's all the security you could ever hope for, all the fearlessness you could ever hope for, all the courage you could ever hope for. And just putting God in the right place in your life and dethroning your worst enemy, you. Let's together in our hearts, as we, we come into this moment of communion, we're going to worship together through an act of communion. As we do that, in our hearts, let's ask ourselves, okay, God, where are you? Where are you on my value system? Where are you in my, am I glorifying you in my life? And here's what you do. This is how you prepare for communion. You change your mind. The Old Testament word, or the New Testament word for that is repentance. And you realize, God, you're not on the scale where you need to be, so you know what? I'm bumping you off the charts. I'm not putting you at the top, off the charts, man. You're up there. And, and God, I'm going to bring glory to you with the breaths of my life. I'm not just going to make it a Sunday thing. I'm not just going to make it for my morning devotion where I give you some glory. Every moment of every life, my life, I'm going to do everything I can to intend it toward you. I'm going to make all my coworkers sick with how much I love you. You don't even have to start telling. If you have to tell your coworkers that you love God, you're doing it wrong. Okay? That makes sense? Did that hurt? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't sound sincere, did I? Let's worship. Pastor Michael.